Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Brian Hummel. While prevention and wellness has oftentimes been left out of healthcare industry conversations or viewed as a sideline player, it's high time that we begin formally bringing it into the fold. Today, I'm joined by Vynamics' Stacey Carney, Sarah Lenhart, and Mary Verzi to discuss the evolution of what most of us know as the wellness industry into a thriving multi-billion dollar marketplace led by healthcare companies on the forefront of consumerism who are aiming to empower individuals to take healthcare into their own hands. Mary, let's start with you. I'm very excited about this topic. Let's start by considering the factors and the driving forces that are propelling the prevention and wellness industry and its rapid expansion in the past several years. Can you expound on that? So I think you can point to several interlocking trends that have really led to the expansion of wellness. First, consumers are generally more informed about their health and are seeking to prioritize their physical and mental health care needs, I think especially during the loneliness of the pandemic, there's more of a focus on physical and mental health care needs. This has led individuals demanding that they are able to engage with health care in ways that fit their busy, unpredictable lives. And there's a prevailing attitude that the current health care system just isn't meeting the needs of all the patients. And from an industry perspective, there's been a shift from reacting to the health crises to a deeper focus on that preventative care. An example, a very simple one, a headache, right? Not talking so much about a pill just to relieve the headache, but what are the triggers of the headache and how do you prevent them? How do you bring wellness and prevention to even just something as simple and and, and routine as, as getting a headache? I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how hard it's to overlook how COVID-19 has accelerated this trend it's forced a rapid shift in the adoption of digital healthcare with supporting infrastructure of e-commerce, mobile health, fitness app, trackers, but it's also led to a willingness of patients to share more of their health data if it means better access to personalized health information. Mary, those are some great use cases, and especially the use case of going upstream on the headache example. I think for generations, we really talked about about diagnosing something at its point, and it's really this fundamental shift in healthcare of how we go further upstream to diagnose and prevent it from happening again. And speaking of these powerful forces, it's an enormous industry, right? I think in 2020, the global wellness industry was estimated to be something like 4.4 trillion with a T dollars, and we are looking to see it grow annually at 10% over the next several years, which would take it to almost a $7 trillion industry in 2025. So thank you for shedding some light on that. We just heard Mary talk a little bit about the forces behind this expansion of the wellness market. Sarah, I'm going to go to you when we talk a little bit about the term consumerism. And this oftentimes can come across as a buzzword or you know, even a term, honestly, that means nothing to patients at the end of the value chain. But it is a term that has become ubiquitous in the industry and tossed around a lot. And I want to make sure that the listener knows what we mean by this and why it plays an important role in the prevention and wellness spaces. So can you talk a little bit about that? Thanks, Ryan. I think the way to think about consumerism in healthcare is that we as consumers now have expectations that our healthcare-related experiences are on par with all of the other experiences in our lives. 
So whether it's banking, technology, entertainment, retail, these industries have had really transformed how they engage with consumers. They have a more customer-centric product or service, a better customer experience. And by doing this, they've increased customer engagement, trust, and customer lifetime value. I've seen it referred to recently as the rising tide of expectations, and it's now come to healthcare. What's interesting is that these expectations are now being met in part by a new cadre of players in the health and wellness ecosystem. They're leveraging technology to fill voids in the current system, as Mary said. And because many of these companies are young, they have the competitive advantage of being able to design their experience with consumer centricity as, as true north. So rather than try to transform a legacy institution to think customer first, they can build from the ground up, earning consumer engagement by design. And design is a key word. We've seen a lot of customer experience design imperatives that these companies are really excelling in. And I'll share a few of them with you. The first is just an easy, intuitive user experience. So think well-designed websites, apps, mobile experiences, beautifully designed menu of options, helpful FAQs. The second is customers expect access and speed. You know, we are impatient. This is all about enabling immediacy, on-demand DIY, and that extends to wanting to have immediate access to clinicians or our health information. The third imperative that we're seeing is personalization. Consumers are now more willing than ever to share their own personal health information if it means better access to more personalized info and a better experience. Two other imperatives to quickly call out. Transparent pricing. It's all about making costs clear, easy to understand, and accessible. And the last is shared values. Consumers today want to work with organizations who share their same values. That's great, Sarah. I really think that these consumer imperatives are spot on. I would really want to emphasize the importance of shared values as something that really stands out in this industry. So you have to remember, as Mary mentioned, many of these wellness companies are born out of a need to fill a gap in the current healthcare system. So oftentimes it's not uncommon for a founder to have a personal experience that influenced them to start the company to begin with. And so because many of these companies are founded out of a need to be addressed in the current healthcare system, there's a strong sense of vision and purpose. For example, Hims and Hers, they started out providing products for highly stigmatized and taboo topics like erectile dysfunction, hair loss, and STIs. Their messaging has really been, you know, you are not alone. And I think that can be really powerful from a health communication and behavior change perspective, creating an enabling environment for people to see care is a good thing. Another great example of this is a startup founded in 2018 called Health in Her Hue, which is a platform that connects women of color to culturally competent and sensitive healthcare providers members can find a provider and also be part of community chats to discuss various health topics that are relevant to them. So we're bringing in that community imperative that you also mentioned, Sarah. Health in Her Hue is really focusing on bringing awareness to relevant health and wellness issues and are on a mission to reduce racial disparities in healthcare. So these are our really impactful messages and actions that health and wellness companies are currently taking to address gaps in the current healthcare system. Thanks, Stacey. And thanks, Sarah. I think that talking about consumerism and the idea and ability for folks across the landscape of healthcare to have choices and be able to be powerful in those choices and empower themselves, it's really evident in some of those 
examples that you mentioned. I love the idea of mapping those consumer imperatives to actual examples in the workspace. So, so Sarah, can you share any examples or additional examples on top of what Stacy just shared in the wellness industry that are doing this great job of connecting on consumer imperatives and then executing them? Absolutely. Let's talk about personalization as a key consumer imperative, basically using personal health data to help consumers make better informed decisions about their long-term health and well-being. It's really powerful. I can actually speak from personal experience on this imperative of personalization. There's a nutrition science company called Zoe that uses at-home test kits that include glucose monitors to measure blood sugar, blood fat, and gut responses to foods. And what they do is they collect personal health data over a period of about two weeks, and then they compare your data to thousands of others in your cohort from their large-scale scientific nutrition studies. And the goal is to help people understand their own gut health and their own metabolic health. And while it may seem very scientific, and it is, it gets translated for consumers down to a very actionable recommendations that you can access through an app that help you understand what foods to eat for your own unique biology. And I can validate what other Zoe users say in terms of when you know what foods work for you, you have more energy, you feel less hungry, and you feel great. And what excites me was the ability to use my personal health information to just make easy choices that I know ultimately will just positively influence everything from heart health, mental health, and reduce the risk for other chronic conditions. The other imperative that I would give an example of is, is access and speed. As I said, we're, we're impatient and we don't want to wait weeks for an appointment to perhaps check out maybe a, a spot we've kind of noticed on our forearm. In fact, the average waiting time to see a skin specialist is roughly 32 days in this country. But as we talked about these emerging companies that are filling voids, there's a digital health company called First Derm that guarantees a checkup on any skin concern within hours. So what you do is you snap a photo, you upload it, and within 24 hours, a board-certified dermatologist will give you professional counsel on your condition. And they report that 80% of their users actually get better with OTC treatment quickly. And so what that means is they're giving the vast majority of their users peace of mind from the comfort of their own home. The 20% that require further tests, they guarantee a follow-up appointment within a week. So clearly delivering on access and speed. Sarah, if I could just interject there for a moment. There is one point I want to make when we talk about access and speed that I don't want to, I don't want to fall off the radar here. And that is with regards to quality. I do think when we talk access and speed, it's, it's sort of a three-legged stool. And I just want to make sure there's a level of providing the right quality of these services here. When we talk about access and speed that I do want to make sure that these wellness companies and digital health companies really make sure that they're pulling through when they talk about the access and speed, just, just given the way they're scaling. Couldn't agree with you more, Mary. It's an excellent point. Just as we're thinking big picture about kind of the, the movement towards prevention and wellness and, and consumers taking the reins in their own healthcare, this idea about organizations being really intentional in designing consumer-eccentric experiences will really only maximize their ability to fit and be relevant in the everyday lives of consumers. One of the things that we're noticing is there's so much happening in this space, right? There's there's so many companies that are coming to light, and it really is around consumerism and, and mapping the consumer imperatives, Sarah, Stacy, and Mary, that you brought to light. And I, I think it's there's been a gap in the healthcare space for a very long time, and these larger companies and, and providers and, and health plans 
really have been yearning to figure this out. And now there's an opportunity for them to connect with these companies that you mentioned in a smart way. And maybe they can help bolster some of the opportunities around quality and interconnectivity and interoperability in a better way in the future. Something that might have occurred to some of our listeners and some of the folks that really are in this space is about the word prevention and wellness. It's been around for a while. And, you know, I even think about the the magazine, Prevention Magazine, that's been around since the 50s that talked about life and health, healthy lifestyles for, for folks. But why all the fuss now, Stacey? Can you talk about like what exactly has changed fundamentally around this word? The key difference is that now prevention and wellness is becoming more embedded into the healthcare industry. So this idea of holistic health has been around for hundreds of years in many cultures throughout the world, specifically Chinese, Indian, and other Pan-Asian cultures. But the term wellness as we know it today was officially coined in the 1950s by a physician named Halbert Dunn. And so he actually combined the words of well-being and fitness to form the word wellness. In 1972, though, is when Dr. John Travis popularized this concept, and he did this by creating what is known as the illness wellness continuum, where the left side of this continuum is really focused on sick care, the treatment paradigm, and the right side is really focused on wellness, prevention, and education. And so I think historically, we've really seen organizations be able to plot very nicely on this continuum on one end or the other. And what we've been seeing more recently is a convergence on this continuum. So we're seeing these wellness companies traditionally being you know, purely focused in the wellness space are moving for into further higher acuity up on the continuum. And so I think this is also moving both ways, right? Healthcare companies are also moving into the wellness space. What's really triggering this is that we have a lot more research now to validate the importance of things that have been traditionally in this wellness silo, like the importance of sleep and social connectedness, nutrition. We now know that these things are really important and integrated into our overall health. So I would say in short, Prevention and wellness has evolved from a nice to have to a must have. Stacey, that's a really good point. I, I think it was great that you talked about the embeddedness of this happening. Could you explain maybe how exactly prevention and wellness companies are moving deeper into healthcare? So I think what we've seen is two main strategies. These prevention and wellness companies are moving into higher acuity services. And they're also transitioning from these direct-to-consumer models to also include B2B or B2B2C models. And I think what's really driving this is the ability to meet three interrelated objectives. They want to grow their customer base, they want to enable whole person health, and they want to strengthen their brand and capabilities. So if we start with growing your customer base, a direct-to-consumer model it, it can be a lot to uphold, right? So there's, it takes a concerted, orchestrated and expensive marketing effort. And as we start to see more health and wellness companies come into this space, it, it's also very saturated. So this is driving up customer acquisition costs and the ability to grow the customer base through a B2B model is much more sustainable in the long term. So for example, if we look at KindBody, which is a fertility and wellness service company founded in 2018, they originally started as a direct-to-consumer mobile clinic, but now they have over 70 employers in their portfolio. If we move on to enabling whole person health, by moving into higher acuity, they're really able to provide all the services and enable that whole person health for each individual customer. Some of these higher acuity services that we see prevention and wellness companies moving into include things like mental health, dermatology, 
chronic disease prevention, insomnia, et cetera. This helps them increase their customer base, but also manage the whole person from end to end. A good example of this is Hims and Hers. They've moved into partnerships with Auctioner Health System, Mount Sinai, and Privia Health to help their entryway into providing mental health services. And the last one to focus on is really this idea of strengthening your brand and increasing your capabilities. So we all know that healthcare is an extremely highly regulated industry. There could be some high barriers to entry. When these health and wellness companies are moving up the continuum into this higher acuity, these partnerships enable them to not only have the capabilities needed to deliver in this realm, but also the, the brand presence to be able to be a trusted partner to their customers to, to provide these types of high acuity services. So one example of this is we can see Calm's acquisition of Ripple Health Group in 2022, which really allows them to expand their capabilities from a meditation-based app to moving more into the highly regulated realm of mental health. Stacey, one of the things that we talk a lot about at Dynamic is this movement to the convergence of the healthcare ecosystem. And we've talked about it for years. We've seen it kind of happen a little bit more lately, and we're seeing it happening a lot more rapidly in the marketplace. And I'm wondering, Sarah, in addition to this convergence and all of these elements kind of coming together at a fulcrum point at the, with the patient in the center, can you tell us more about how wellness has evolved, what has worked in the past, what hasn't? I'd love to hear more about that. As we think about the phrase health and wellness kind of in, in air quotes, it likely conjures up an image of an employer-sponsored program, maybe discounts on gym memberships or earning rewards for healthy habits like quitting smoking and, and weight loss. Well, there's evidence today that these types of programs really didn't work, improve outcomes or, or bend the cost curve. In fact, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal from February of this year where they cited a pretty big study about 26,000 employees across 200 work sites that showed that wellness programs had no significant effect on any measures of health outcomes, healthcare spending, or work outcomes. So what's different now is that the paradigm is shifting from being driven by the employer or health plan to being driven by the consumer, right? We've been talking about the consumer taking the reins in their own overall health and wellness. And so increasingly, consumers are recognizing the importance of, of making these, these choices and changing their lifestyle and, and changing behaviors as a way to positively influence their overall well-being, reducing their risks, and improving their long-term health outlook. So as we said, instead of wellness kind of being a, a bolt-on, it is becoming an integral part of the health continuum. And going back to the continuum that Stacy was talking about, you know, it's not just managing sickness, it's moving to preserving well-being across a whole list of dimensions and, you know, a healthy body, healthy mind, healthy nutrition, and healthy lifestyle. You know, Mary, in listening to a podcast that you co-hosted here on Trending Health around the evolution of digital health with Lifeguard Health Networks, I would love to dive into the implications of this prevention and wellness across the healthcare landscape even further. Yeah. So as Sarah and Stacey were discussing earlier, what we're really seeing is tech-based startups really start to fill this void in the new healthcare paradigm. And when I say tech-based, a lot of times what we mean is like tech-enabled services with really with that, that tech backbone. And we're seeing as many of the older players across payer, provider, life sciences are really being beaten to new opportunities by these consumer-centric, nimble tech-enabled, tech-based startups that are getting into the health and wellness space. This has really led payers, providers, and employers 
to invest heavily in startups, partnering with innovative companies to enable prevention and wellness for their members, patients, employees. And now those companies are really aiming to diversify and scale with cross-sector partners. So they're really moving more from consumer facing to B2B partnerships. And we're seeing a lot of that really take off in, in the technology space today. I think this whole time we've alluded to this idea of the convergence of healthcare, the implications across the sectors of healthcare, how health and wellness and prevention and wellness really are impacting each one of those. And you know, there's examples that we've mentioned. There's Ginger and Headspace merging. There are large providers partnering with some of these companies as well. I think payers are also leaning heavily into this space because in history and throughout the last 10 to 20 years, we haven't seen some of these reactive healthcare delivery solutions change these cost pressures, as Sarah has mentioned. So I believe payers are going to really lean heavily and specifically into mental health benefits and figuring out a way to really elevate this idea of how they can pull costs out of the system. Mary, is there other elements and other areas in a cross-sector way that we're seeing this happening in real time? I think you hit on it, Ryan. Maybe the only other partnership opportunities that I'm starting to see are between like life science organizations, large provider systems, really partnering with analytics companies to enhance their knowledge base. Think about like Zoe, clinical trials on nutrition science. I even would go back to, to, I think the example you gave, Ryan, of like GSK and 23andMe, but using that more in a clinical space to help advance clinical trials for life sciences. So I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head though, right? I think those are just a few other examples I would touch on. Well, we've talked a lot about health and wellness, and I suspect that we will talk more about this in trending health as we end the year and move on to 2023. So I want to take the opportunity to Thank Mary, Sarah, and Stacy for their expertise in this space across the entire paradigm and appreciate your time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in this episode, subscribe to the Trending Health podcast and explore if Dynamic can help your company with ongoing healthcare industry change. Please visit trendinghealth.com.